Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, Lord. We come before you as servants of you, the Most High God. And Lord, as the song says, we need you. We love you. And we want you. You are the Holy God. You are the Holy God Almighty. El Shaddai, the everlasting God. Lord, thank you. I look around this room and I see everybody here and and Lord we've all been called by by your name Christian because we received you many years ago Lord you opened up our hearts to to the realization and the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we woke up Lord and we were born again of your Holy Spirit and now we've been serving you with our whole hearts our whole minds our whole soul but Lord Yet we're sinners, saved by grace, through your mercy, and because of your great agape love that you have for us. Oh, God, we love you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's not enough thank yous in the world to tell you that we love you that much. We thank you for saving us, redeeming us, changing us, because we weren't so, so good a people not too long ago. And now we're a little bit better because of your grace and your mercy and because we love you. That famous saying and the bumper stickers I see out there, what would Jesus do? Stops us from many things that we shouldn't do because we look at you and we say, what would you do? And Lord, our whole continence changes. Our whole retaliation changes. And we try to think like you and answer like you would and do like you would want us to do. You have changed us, Lord, and we're so thankful. We were lost and you found us dead and you gave us life. We were headed for the kingdom of darkness and you brought us in, into the kingdom of light that day we were saved. We bless your holy name. And you are holy, Lord. You are the holy God. And you said to us that we should be holy as you are holy. We're going to do our very best, Lord, with your Holy Spirit's help. But may they see Jesus in us, Lord, as we go about in this world. As the darkness closes in on the, on the planet Earth, Lord God, we pray that the light, and we know that the light will shine brighter the darker it gets. And, Lord, draw men, women, children into your kingdom like a fire, like a, like a moth to a flame, Lord. Draw them in, Lord, today. We have one of our missionaries here that's headed for Africa in a few weeks. Three weeks, Lord, in Africa, and I pray that you open doors and give the, the evangelists the, the words. Make divine appointments, Father, with people and bring them into the kingdom. And maybe in Africa there, Lord, Maybe that last person that doesn't know Jesus will get saved and call upon your name. And then you can take us out of here so that we can be with you in the kingdom of heaven as that trumpet sounds, as the, the voice of the Lord God sounds and the dead in our Christ arise, Lord. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet you in the air. We can't wait for that last trumpet. 
to get the bride of Christ out of here so that we can spend it in the kingdom of heaven with you. While all hell is breaking loose on earth, Lord God, we will be safe and engaged and married to you according to the scriptures since the church is your bride. We love you tonight, Lord, with all of our hearts. Forgive our sins, Lord. Cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, Lord. Father, we repent of our sin, and we thank you that our sin was placed upon Jesus, who could, who could bear it, and because he was sinless, didn't have to pay the penalty of eternal death. And being through the process, because he lives, we can live also. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the revelation of who Jesus is. And Father, thank you for administrating such a beautiful plan of redemption from the very fall of man in the garden until this day. Lord, we give you the glory, the praise, the honor, for you are God and there is no other. And your kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. We thank you that we're part of it. In Jesus' holy and precious and glorified name, amen and amen. Amen. Church, praise the Lord. Those are beautiful, beautiful worship songs. Beautiful. Today, get your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 21. Chapter 21. I'm going to read from the New King James here tonight, okay? This Genesis chapter 21 is God is going to fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham many years before, many years ago. He's going to fulfill that promise, and Isaac will be born to Abraham, who is 100 years old, to his wife, Sarah, who is 90 years old. Listen, God wants you to know out there that nothing is impossible with him. What lady you know was 90 years old and bore a son? What uh, man do you know that's 100 years old that bore, uh, bore a son? Listen, listen. God wanted you to know that your redemption through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, was planned by him. It was only him that could do it. So that we know that Isaac is the promised son that God promised Abraham. And circumcision in this chapter is going to be introduced to Abraham and I, a spiritual, a fleshly reminder of a spiritual decision that Abraham and his family had has made. So, we're going to find, we know that Abraham's our first patriarch. Tonight we're going to see our second patriarch, Isaac. We know that when we pray and we read the scriptures, we see the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these are the three patriarchs. And tonight we're going to see Abraham and Isaac. Next week we're going to see even a more powerful scripture, which is in Genesis chapter 22, which is a shadow and a parallel of what our Lord Jesus did on the cross. So, um, let's read chapter 21. New American Standard I'm reading out of. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to start somewhere in here, at least by 22nd verse. Okay, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Remember the promise. 
And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, that she would bear a son. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, and God, as God had commanded. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all, the, all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have bore him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that same day and I, that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight, because the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder and gave it, it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of my boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar and out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad. He grew and dwelt in the wilderness and came, became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. We're going to stop there because we're going to get into Abimelech, another Abimelech in, in, in the last part of this chapter. So we see Isaac's birth. Um, and uh, we see that the Lord is going to fulfill his promise. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, word, Lord there is Yahweh, or Jehovah did for Sarah as he had spoken. Listen, if God has spoken to you, you can know it's going to come to pass. So just believe it. 
You know, God will always fulfill his word. Always. God is faithful to that promise. Listen, Kings, Second Kings, King Solomon, blessed be the Lord. There has not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised. That's a promise to you. All the promises of God are yea and amen. They still uphold today. Even though the Mosaic Law came in, instituted, all God's promises are for today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget not all his benefits. We can't forget his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, heals your body, and, and delivers your soul from the pit. Those promises still for, are fulfilled today. All oh, God is always faithful to his word. No one ever waits on the Lord in vain. You can be sure of that. Many times I've waited for years for the answer to come. Sometimes you get really impatient. I, Abraham and uh, Sarah got impatient to the point where Hagar was given to Abraham by Sarah to bear him a son because she was older and still couldn't get pregnant. But God wanted you to know if he made a, a promise, he will fulfill it. So if any of you had prophecies prophesied over you, you can bet your bottom dollar that God will fulfill it. If God told you to do this and to pack up all your clothes and move to uh, Guatemala and, and you know it was his voice, then you need to do what he said because he will fulfill the promise that went with it. In verse 2, it says, at the set time, that means the appointed time, Isaac's birth came at the perfect timing. Just like Jesus came at the perfect time. There was no other time in history when, when Messiah could come and fulfill 365 prophecies written in the Old Testament of the Bible. So, at the appointed time is God's perfect time. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. We just learned last week on Thursday night that, that Sarah was like 85 years old and she was still beautiful. Even to the point where Abimelech, one of the, that's, a, that's a title, not his name, Abimelech took her. She was a beautiful woman at 85 years old. So, um, at the appointed time, it, the timing is perfect. You know, sometimes we pray for this, we pray for that, but the timing is off. Sometimes we have to just wait for God's timing. And then God will fulfill that particular promise. I told you many times, my dad, the Lord told me he was going to save my dad before he passed. Okay? I waited 18 years. But I knew all those years that God was going to fulfill that promise. Because I heard his voice very clearly. And God did exactly what he said. And before my dad passed and went to the heaven, I got several years to worship and go to church with him and loved on him and he me like we've never done before. If you go to Romans, Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 19, that Sarah's womb was already dead. But Abraham believed by faith that God would do as he said. He waited a good 25 years before God ever fulfilled the promise of a son through Sarah. This establishes God's, God's 
sovereignty over what he says. That he, he, nobody, no woman could bear a child at 90 years old. This is so you know and I know that Isaac is the son of the promise of God. And if God promised you something, he will fulfill it. Israel, in other words, owes its existence to Almighty God. Israel, as an existent nation today, owes its, owes its existence to God Almighty. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. God's promise will always come at the appointed time. Even Messiah came at the appointed time. There was going to be 70 weeks before Messiah would come from the, from the uh, edit to rebuild Jerusalem. There was going to be 70 weeks. That's, that's 173,880 days that Messiah would, would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt of a donkey. That date was established, and Jesus had a time schedule to keep. You know, he had a time schedule to keep for Lazarus and Lazarus' death. He delayed three or four days before he went to Lazarus, who was already dead. The timing had to be perfect. He had to raise Lazarus from the dead, four days dead, so that you could know that was the last major miracle that Jesus did, so that when he died on the cross, the saints could look up and say, it had to be God. Nobody can raise a dead man after four days. His entrance into Jerusalem, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was established way back in the Old Testament. That was Palm Sunday, the 173,880 days from the edit to rebuild Jerusalem by Artaxerxes, the king of, uh, of Syria, I believe he was. Listen. Jesus' death on the cross had to be perfect. The timing had to be perfect. He would be in the grave three days and three nights, and it was all fulfilled. God's timing is perfect, and there's a reason why, he why the timing has to be perfect. He, we have to just trust him in that fact. He will not fail you. In this way, he gets the glory and not you. He gets the glory. And as I said many times, Isaiah 43, 8 and 48, 11 say, God says in those, nobody's going to steal my glory. So don't ever try to steal God's glory. You should give him glory for what he does. And you had nothing to do with it. If you laid your hands on a blind person and they saw, I can tell you what, you had nothing to do with it. Only God could do it. Only God could do it. I know if I laid my hands on a blind person and they saw, I would know it certainly isn't me because I'm just a, a human being full of sin that would keep me out of the kingdom except for the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. God did it, not you. Keep that in mind. If your ministry lasts 40 years of healing ministry, you better remain in that fact. It's been God, not you. So don't start to get a big head. That's how Lucifer got thrown out of heaven and became Satan. Verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son Isaac in obedience to what God told him. Jesus told him, one of the angels in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 19. 
Isaac. You're to name this son Isaac because Isaac means laughter. Sarah said, as we just read it in the passage, she said, you know, God has made me laugh. So she named him Isaac. Abraham, you know, was laughing in, in obedience and joy when God told him that. In chapter 17 of Genesis, Sarah was in the tent and she was saying, it ain't going to happen. And she laughed in, in disobedience. But even Jesus heard her and said, why did Sarah laugh? You know, listen, don't laugh at what God tells you to do. Just go do it. Remember, um, remember the Syrian general, Nahum, Naaman, Naaman, who was told to go to the prophet Isaiah and uh, he would heal him of his leprosy. This was a Syrian general. And he went to the prophet and the prophet wouldn't even let him come close to the house to tell him anything. He told his servant, you go tell your master to go dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman got upset. He was mad to the point that he might have wanted to just go and wring his neck. Isaiah's neck, but he, or not Isaiah, but Elijah's neck, and he didn't. The servant was a lot wiser. He said, if he told you to do some great thing, would you do it? And he said, yeah. He said, well, then go dip yourself in the Jordan River, that muddy river. And he went in that muddy river, and he came up clean from leprosy after the seventh time, just like the prophet said. Listen, if God said it, do it. Do it. I remember I was building a business back in the 70s. I was about five years into it, working a full job, and, and when I, you know, and I got saved, and God told me to resign from my position with the state of Pennsylvania as a highway draftsman. He said, resign from this position, and your company will be successful without fail. And that very day, or the next day, I wrote, I wrote the, my resignation that very, very day and handed it in to my boss at PennDOT, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. And I resigned from that position with my two-week notice. And my company was highly successful. And I started with $40. And God told me to quit, and he would never, I would never have a dull moment, and I never did. And I sold that company, and that's how I ended up in Florida. Because God did exactly what he said. It was a stretch for me. I had to borrow money. I had to build a, 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 a place to do business. And it was scary. But I did what he said. And even when I was signing the papers for the bank to get the money to build the building on this property, I looked down at the contract, and all that stood out of me, out to me was the word faith. And I, don't re I reviewed the whole contract, and I never even saw the word faith in there. But all I saw when I saw it, God was saying, faith, have faith. I said, I said, do it, and you'll be successful, and I did it, and I was successful. I'm just saying to you, do what God tells you to do. Okay? God will carry out the promise that he gave you. Isaac is circumcised here in verse 4 on the eighth day. Abraham circumcised Isaac on the eighth day in obedience to Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. Remember the eighth day? I thought probably mentioned it in the seventh chapter. Why the eighth day? 
was the male childs of Hebrews to be circumcised. Well, they find out nowadays that because vitamin K in the male child is the highest, the highest it can be on the eighth day. And what is vitamin K? It is a blood coagulant that stops bleeding and clots. So God knows what he was doing. But it took hundreds or, uh, of years, thousand years, before man ever figured that out. But Abraham did what he was told to do, and of course the child was safe. And nowadays, though, without they, they do it right after the child is born, but that's a whole different. We have medical knowledge that has been given to mankind, by the way, from God to do this kind of thing. Who knows? Maybe they put vitamin K in the baby on the first day. I don't know. All I know is if God said it, that settles it. It is done. God turns our unbelief into belief, into unbelievable joy. God, in verse 6, Abraham says, or Sarah says, God has made me laugh. In, in chapter 18, she laughed in unbelief. In this chapter, she's laughing because she's 90 years old, and she's going to wean a child that is born to her. In her old age, Sarah laughed in unbelief, but she's not laughing in unbelief now. Here it is. She's bearing a son for her husband that she loved, Abraham. And now in Genesis chapter 21, Sarah's laughing in unbelievable joy. Unbelievable joy. Can you imagine 90-year-old woman bearing a child? She's weaning a child, you know, feeding, breastfeeding a child, and she's 90 years old. Who could conceive that? And God made her laugh with unbelievable joy. And he'll make you laugh with unbelievable joy if you just listen to him. And it also tells us that that unbelievable joy is from God. Verse 7, who would have said or who would have thought it possible? But yet as we read all through the scripture, there's nothing impossible for God. We see it in Ephesians 3.20. We see it in Mark chapter 11. You know, Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above whatever you ask or think. Listen, he went exceedingly abundantly above whatever any man could think that Isaac would be born to a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man. Unbelievable. Don't ever say, you know, that God can't do something. I don't care what it is. He can do it. The question is, will he do it? Talking about healing in the New Testament, I believe he will. He never turned anybody down. God never turned anybody down on healing the Lord Jesus. They said, you know, they wanted to receive their sight. They wanted to walk. He said he always said yes. He wanted to be healed of leprosy. He always said yes. Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 13. Just to go through that, troubles arise between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac's just a boy. He's three years old. Ishmael is like, like 30 years old. Or not 30, 13 years old. Um, Ishmael's true nature is brought out because he's scoffing at Isaac. He's jealous, okay? Um, it's a spiritual parallel there. 
that Ishmael is a product of the flesh. Abraham and Sarah believed they were going to help God out. So Sarah gives her her bondwoman, Hagar, to Abraham to go into her and, and uh, have sex with her so that she could get pregnant and have a son through through um, through the Hagar. And that's just old, you know, tradition back in those days. But now Isaac's born, and he's a product of the Spirit. So as we read through the Scriptures and we see Isaac, we see he's a product of the Spirit. He's the promised son. We see Ishmael, and he's the son of the flesh. It's where man tried to help God. We try to help God. We just mess everything all up, you know. Um, the flesh, we're told in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh so that you don't do what you, you want to do. That's, a, that's, that's what, once you accepted Christ and his spirit comes into you, you know, his spirit wars against your fleshly spirit that gravitates towards sin and there's a war going on within your own body and that's what this verse is saying in Galatians 5.17. The spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. Some versions, like the King James, say lusts against the flesh and lusts against the spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's a war that goes on within every one of us. We, even Paul struggles with that in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. I, why do I do what I, don't, what I shouldn't do and, and don't do what I should do? It's a question. You know, even the great apostle Paul struggled with it. Paul wasn't exempt to the scripture's promise. You know, Isaac, verse chapter, uh, verse 8 of chapter 21, Isaac is weaned. He's usually weaned about two or three years old, you know, as a toddler. And then they hold the feast in his honor. If you notice, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. He wasn't given or wasn't weaned till he was five years old. That's because his mother wanted to keep him as long as possible because she promised, you know, God that she would give that child to the Lord's service, you know, after he's weaned. And she did. And he became the great prophet and judge of Israel, Samuel. Okay? They hold a feast in Isaac's honor because he's weaned. And here's Ishmael's attitude. He's a, first of all, he's a teenager. He's somewhere between 13 and 16, okay? He's a teenager, and that in itself is, is half of the problem. Isaac is the youngest, and he knows right now that he's the favored one. Okay, Isaac is going to be in the child of the promise, and Ishmael is the child of, of uh, the flesh. So Isaac's getting all the attention, and Ishmael's jealous, and he's resentful. So Sarah sees that Ishmael is scoffing at her son, Isaac, and mocking at him, you know, in a ridicule. He's sarcastic, he's disrespectful, he's scornful, he's, he's ridiculing, and, and, uh, and it creates a big problem. So Sarah decides she wants to get rid of her. Here's nine reasons why the birth of Isaac foreshadows now the, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both of these men, well, Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, but both Isaac and Jesus were both promised. They were promised sons. 
Isaac was promised to Abraham and Sarah. And Jesus was promised to us, to Israel. Here's, here's what it says in Isaiah 7:14, and we see a lot of it around Christmas time. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When it translates over to Greek, it's Jesus or Jesus. So they both were promised. Number two, there was long interval intervals between the the birth of these sons. Abraham and Sarah waited, you know, about 35, 25 to 35 years, okay? And we waited hundreds of years for Messiah to come to earth. So, you know, we waited a long period of time, long intervals between verse both. This is our shadows of Christ and Isaac. Now, the birth, number three, the birth announcement seemed impossible. Sarah, 90 years old, impossible. Isaac, I mean Abraham, 100 years old, impossible. A virgin bearing a son, impossible. Impossible. The birth announcement seemed impossible, but it was not. Romans 4:19 says, And not being weak in faith, he, Abraham, did not consider his own body already dead, but about a hundred years old, or a deadening of Sarah's womb. He didn't even consider it. If God said it, that settled it. So, this is a miraculous thing. Both of these both were miraculous. Number four, both were named before they were born. God told Mary what to name this child, and Isaiah, it was written in Isaiah 7:14, which we read. And also, Isaac was named before he was born. See, these are parallels that point to Messiah's coming. Number five, uh, foreshadowing of Christ and, and, uh, and uh, Isaac. Both births occurred at the appointed time. Remember, I just told you, there's an appointed time in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. The 183 days, the 70 weeks, you know, 69 weeks, actually. The 173,880 days counted off from the date to, re, to rebuild Jerusalem. It comes right into, like, April of, of uh, uh, right into Passover time. What year? I'm not exactly sure. You can you can go check it out. There's several years given, um, but but the point is, it happened at the appointed time. Both births. Jesus came at the appointed time when the fullness of time came. God sent forth His only Son, and when the fullness of time came, right here with that verse that we're talking about, at the appointed time, Sarah got pregnant, and Sarah bore Abraham a son. Number six, both births were miraculous. Old age and a virgin? Sarah, old age. Abraham, old age. Mary, probably anywhere from 15 years old, probably 13 to 15 years old. From a virgin, a birth. Number seven, the parallel. Both sons were joys to their fathers. Isaac Remember, his name means laughter. He was a joy to mom and dad. Jesus, 
And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. They were, Jesus was a joy to our Heavenly Father in heaven. Number eight, both sons were obedient to their fathers unto death. We are going to see that next chapter. We are going to see Isaac, who was most likely somewhere between 16 and 22 years old. He's, going to, he's willingly going to be bound by his dad, put on an altar, and sacrificed. And he was willing to do that. And while being willing to do that, he was carrying the wood to be burnt, made as a burnt offering. Jesus carried the wood of the cross. Jesus was obedient to his Father, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These, they were joys to their fathers. Number nine, number eight, both sons were obedient. Yeah, no, number nine, miraculous birth of Isaac is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How? The womb was dead. Abraham's reproductive organs were dead. It's a miraculous birth of Isaac, and it's a miraculous, it's a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How he can resurrect a dead womb, and how he can resurrect a dead Savior from the dead. Who, here's Jesus, Romans 4.25. Seems to be a popular chapter. You might want to read it one tonight when you go home. But here's what it says. He who has delivered up before all of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Jesus was raised to justify us. Notice in verse 10 here, I'm going to read it from the Bible, verse 10. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Notice here that the sins of the flesh will always come back and bite you. It will always come back and bite you or haunt you. We've got to be careful that we don't sin in the flesh. It's very, you know, we, we need to, to turn away from sin. That's what repentance is all about. And this church, whether you're on the air or whether you're in the pews, you know, or the chairs, not really pews, listen, you're going to hear repentance from this church. Without repentance, there is no salvation. And I mean true repentance from the heart. Repentance means turn around and go the other direction. Not confess it and go out and do the same thing. We turn from it. It's your, your sins in the flesh will always come back to bite you. If you go out and have sex with a prostitute, you might end up with a venereal disease. That's all there is to it. You just gave the enemy some ammunition to fight against you. Ishmael's the son of the flesh again, and Isaac is the son of the promise and the covenant of grace. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the promise. Here's Paul quoting what I just read. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, we Christians, we servants of Yahweh. Listen, we are, we, are, we are sons of the free woman, the free man. In Corinthians, Paul tells us 
Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Maybe that's why God said to Abraham, listen to the words of Sarah and send her away. It's a picture of, you know, um, unbelievers and believers not fellowshipping to the point of of, uh, you being led in the wrong direction. In other words, you're to follow Christ. That doesn't mean if you listen to Sunday's message, the message was from the, from the angels at the tomb to the women were come and see, come and see that the tomb is empty, okay? And then go and tell, then go and tell. That's our job. We can go and tell these unrighteous people about Jesus, but we don't have to enter into their world and become like them. Remember I did the teaching on, on Peter, you know, as he was, he was following Jesus from a distance when they arrested Jesus. And, you know, he denied Jesus three times. He, first he denied her, denied him, and then the second time, you know, he denied the, the, other, wo- the other woman that said something. And about it, before you know it, he's warming himself in the enemy's fire the third time. He was a consistent downward spiral. And that's what happens when we sin. When lust takes place, you know, then sin carries, comes in. And then when sin is, uh, is full-blown, it brings forth death. We've got to be very, very careful of that. It's James 1, 15, 14 and 15. Um, so we've got to be careful who we hang out of. You know, my mother used to say, I'll tell you who you are by who you hang with. Bad friends corrupt good morals. That's 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 15.33, I believe. Bad friends corrupt good morals. If you hang with bad people, chances are you're going to end up in a bad shape. So, So Isaac and Ishmael cannot be co-heirs with the Spirit. The application on that is those who are born of God's Spirit should have no place with the deeds of the flesh. Now, we do. We fall short of the glory of God. The part of what we're supposed to do is pick ourselves up and, and uh, repent and go on. We must be ruthless with the flesh. We must really be ruthless with this flesh and say, no, no, no. But yet we do. We've got to be careful. Galatians 5 also tells us in verse 24 that those who are Christ is to have crucified our fleshly passions. We're to be ruthless against it. We're to possess the kingdom of God strongly. Verse 11 of chapter 21, the matter was very displeasing to Abraham to get send Ishmael away, and he went to God. And God commands Abraham to listen to Sarah. Abraham must have prayed. He asked God for guidance. And God said, Sarah's right. The flesh and the spirit can have no fellowship with one another. And even to this day, Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations. You know that, right? And Isaac, the father of the Jewish nation. 
So, this speaks to the women, by the way, that sometimes women have more of a gift of discernment than us men, and sometimes we need to listen up. Not all the time. You're not always right, ladies, but, you know, sometimes we need to listen up. They are, they are more sensitive to certain things than, than the man might be. Ishmael is blessed by, by virtue of Abraham because he is the seed of Abraham, so he will be blessed because he is Abraham's seed, but he's the son of the flesh. This reveals God's love to Abraham, how much he loved Abraham. He was going to make sure that Isaac and Ishmael were both going to be blessed. Verses, um, as we move on to verse 14 through 21, Abraham's obedience, he sends Ishmael and Hagar away with water, okay? But it's not enough water for her to get to Egypt. That doesn't make much sense to me, but you know what? He's not enough water to get to Egypt. But it does show how Agar evidently was, was knew the living God, and she prayed, and also Ishmael, because he's praying, as we see as we move on. So Abraham does it immediately. He, he immediately sends um, Ishmael and Hagar away in obedience to the Lord. In other words... For us today, if God tells you to do something, do it. Do it. Abraham sends them away with bread and a skin of water, not enough for a distance to get to Egypt, as I said. Abraham knew they would need help from God along the way. And he wanted Hagar and Ishmael to depend on God and not man. Because we know from the scripture, it's a foolish thing to trust in men. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we should trust in the name of the Lord our God. But some men don't. They don't. Um, After the provisions are gone, Hagar and Ishmael cry out to God in desperation. Hagar lifts up her voice in verse 16 and wept. Ishmael is also praying and, and heard God And God heard the voice of the lad, it says right there in verse 16. There's desperation in our lives. You need to crawl out to God. Whether it's a catastrophe, a tragedy, a misfortune, you know, we need to cry out to God. I know I have in many cases in my life called out to God, and God did answer me. And remember, he answers at his appointed time. When you exalt, when you exhaust all your resources, remember the woman with the issue, touch the hem of his garment. Get down, even if it's a hem, touch it. And then there's always the phone call you could make, which I always tell everybody is Jeremiah 33, 3. You call upon the name of the Lord in your day of trouble. He will answer you, and he will show you great and mighty things which you know not. So, Remember that, Isaiah, or Jeremiah 33, 3. Call upon the name of the Lord in your day of trouble, and he will answer you, and he will show you great and mighty things which you know not. Verse 18 of chapter 21, God answers her, I will make your son, him, Ishmael, a great nation. 
Remember, he said just earlier in the prior verse, because he's Abraham's seed, he will bless him. That's how much he loved Abraham. God answers, I will make him a great nation. Josephus tells us, and the, he's the first session Jewish historian, okay, not Christian by any means. Ishmael is the father, he says that Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. God has been faithful to his word even to today. Today, they're supposed, well, this, I go back about 10 years back. To the, back in those days, 13 million Jews were said to be on the face of the earth and compared to 300 million Arabs. There's a big difference there. But if we add the spiritual seed of Abraham, you can take that number up quite a bit from 13 million, you know, that are a nation of Jews to add in all the Christians who believe and know God with all their heart. Remember, some Jews don't really know the Lord God. They can only know him through Christ our Savior. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am the name of God, you will die in your sins. So we got to add the Christian believers into that 13 million Jews, and we will have a higher number. Okay, uh, verse 19, the Lord leads Hagar to a well, and she saves, and he saves both of their lives. Here's five things about Ishmael's life. Number one, God was with him. Number two, he grew up and lived in the wilderness. He became an archer, number three. Remember, God's prophecy or over, over Ishmael was in Genesis 16, 12. It said he would be a wild man. Here he's an archer in the wilderness, fulfilled. Number, number four, he dwelt in Paran, which is the Arab nations today. Okay, he married an Egyptian. And Egypt, of course, is the largest of the Arab nations back 10 years ago. I think that's changed now. Um the Arab, the Arab population was 62 million in 2001. The Arab population today, of course, is, uh, they say, 300 million. That's a whole lot of blessing. Ishmael's mother was Hagar. She was in her native land. Uh, the common misconception is that all Arabs are Muslims. That is not true. There was a time... I don't know, about 20, 25 years ago, when the greatest concentration of Christians was in Egypt. Was in Egypt. Um, Muslim is a religion, just so you know that. It's not a nation, it's a religion. And statistics say, really, that only 15 to 18, 20 percent of Arabs are, are Muslims. These statistics may have changed today because things change so fast today. I was telling Liz tonight, you know, this with all the communication, you know, Facebook and online and this and that, you know, back in the old days, if somebody did something uh, in the old days when it was horse and buggy, it took weeks to get to that individual before the war breaks out or a feud breaks out. But nowadays it can happen within seconds because of, the mass communications that we have. And it, it makes things speed up faster and people matter it 
each other faster, and it can grow up, make wars happen faster. The truth is, too, just like the Jews, the Arab nations owe their existence to, to Yahweh, Jehovah, just like the Hebrew nations. You know what? We all owe our existence to Yahweh. God's grace is even going to preserve the Arabs into the millennium. You can find that in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6 and 7. We don't have time to get into it, but it talks about um, Kedar being gathered together to you, the rams of Nebaiathoth, which, uh, which minister to you. Kedar is a reference to the sons of Ishmael and Nabob also in Genesis chapter 25, 13 is a reference to the sons of Ishmael, which all both are Arab nations. They will be seen in the millennium because God has blessed the seed of Abraham, the fleshly seed and the spiritual promised son seed. Now the next couple verses are Abraham makes a covenant with Abimelech. Now, we've, we learned last chapter or chapter before that Abimelech is not his name. It is a title, like president, like uh, Pharaoh. It's, it's an, he's going to run into another Abimelech. Remember, the last Abimelech rebuked him for, for not telling him that Sarah was his wife. And that's the last time we see Abraham fall in the Scriptures. Okay, so Abimelech is not a title. It's a, it's it's a, I mean it's a title, not a name. It's like Caesar, president, or or Pharaoh. Okay, he this Abimelech is not the same Abimelech as what happened a few chapters ago. This Abimelech is is a a king over the Philistines. Now, if you remember the last time the Abimelech was down by the border of Egypt, okay. And I believe it was Palestine on the border of Egypt. This one is, he is, he is Abimelech over the Philistines. Okay? Um, let's read that. I guess we better read it to make more sense. And it came to pass at the time of that Abimelech and Pishol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So they were taking notice of God being with Abraham because God's blessing him. No doubt that they found out that he had a son when he was 100 years old and his wife was 90. You know, they, they, you know this news traveled even in those days, not as fast as today. 23, now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with any of my, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which I have you have dwelt. In other words, you know, I don't want a war with you. I know you're stronger than me. I know God's with you. Um, please think highly of me, you know. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing? Did you, you did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and 
the two of them made a covenant, and Abram set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set before, set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, and they, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pishphicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. See, he's a Philistine. Then Abraham planted a tamarack, tamarack tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So here we see this Abimelech as a Philistine, and Abraham's in their land. And he takes notice of God blessing Abraham, and he wants to make sure that Abraham isn't going to come and destroy him in any way. He wants peace. And Abraham, of course, is willing to, to have peace. But he said, you know, we dug this well in Beersheba, and your, your people have claimed it, and that is wrong. I want that well replaced back to my people. And Abimelech didn't know nothing about it, and he, he restored that well to him, you know, um, and Abraham stayed by the well. Of course, for many days, as the scripture said. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be peace with him. So here, you know, Abimelech, you know, in the days of David, the Philistines were always a thorn in Israel's side. But they were peaceful with Abraham because Abraham's ways pleased the Lord. Abraham is a testimony seen by these heathens now. He failed the other Abimelech, but he's not failing this Abimelech. They see that he's a nation different than anybody else. They know that their God is God. They know that their the God of Israel is blessing Abraham. So the scene set for for that that um, the scene is set in Genesis chapter for Genesis chapter twenty six when Ishmael or Isaac will be mistreated in chapter 26 by Abimelech. There's another Abimelech, another, not the same Abimelech, you know, like the Pharaoh that, that um, didn't know Joseph. Well, this is the Abimelech that didn't know Isaac, the son of Abraham. We're going to see that. In other words, the spiritual truth really is lasting peace is impossible between God's people and the world. Listen, lasting peace is impossible between God's people and the world. There's always going to be that battle, you know, in the world as you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews and Philistines will war and will become arch enemies of one another down the road. The verdict is in, though, in the end. The servants of God will have dominion. And I'm going to read. Uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses uh, 21 through 27. 
This is something that we need to know all the days of our life and not forget, especially when you battle your enemy, the devil. This is the scene, as I say, chapter 7 of Daniel is the war of all ages, I call it. And it's still raging today. This is the war of all ages still raging today. And the big horn, the little horn are, are blaspheming God. And God, the Ancient of Days, shows up. And in verse 21, Daniel is saying, I was watching and the, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing. This is us. This is the last days. Until the Ancient of Days, God, God Almighty here, came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints. That means that God rules in favor of you, the believer. Okay? In favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. It's time for us to possess the kingdom. Come and see. Go and tell that Jesus won the battle. It's won already. Possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth. Trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who will raise, arise from the kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue the kings. Yet he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Shall, he shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. That's exactly what's happening today. They're changing laws to make evil good and good evil. You know, the saints shall be given into the hands of this, the, these the demons here for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years, which is talking about the great tribulation. But the court sat, and they shall take away his dominion. The devil's dominion is going to be taken away. The pompous horns, okay? to consume and destroy forever. Then the kingdom, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominions shall serve and obey. In other words, we win. You don't have to read the last page of Revelation to find out we win. You can read the seventh chapter of Daniel and find out we win through Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who came riding on a cloud in the prior verses to that. Listen, listen, we have really no fellowship with the world other than to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ came, he died, he's buried, and he is risen according to the Scripture. And God says, go. And come and see that the tomb's empty, and then go and tell the world. That's what it's all about, people. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out it was all about reaching lost souls. And some of the churches today have forgot that. And I don't want to forget that. I'm a missionary favoring pastor, and I love missions because I know I don't believe the last person is going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in order for the trumpet to sound and the dead in Christ to rise first. I don't believe that last person is in the United States of America. 
I believe they're in some dark nation, maybe Africa, maybe Brazil, you know, one of those dark nations, maybe even, even uh, Sudan or Turkey or even Afghanistan. But I don't believe it's in, a, in the earth, so I support uh, missions. So the saints win, the devil loses, Praise be the name of the Lord. That's all this message is about. Praise be the name of the Lord. Tune in next week, everybody. Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to show you a beautiful parallel from, you know, but of Isaac, again, being a parallel or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, it's going to be a beautiful thing. So let's close in prayer. And listen, if any of you don't know Jesus, go to our, to the, um, to my email, it's joe at freedomchurchpb.org, joe at freedomchurchpb.org. And if you want to know anything, have any questions, or if you received Christ as your Savior today and you have repented of your sins, tell me so we can rejoice with the angels in heaven that are jumping up and down saying, praise be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God bless you all, and I love you. Tune in Sunday morning at 10.